man. Thank you very much, Sam. Thanks to every one of us as well, especially for those powerful testimonies. Um, I want to appreciate God for the privilege the fathers have given me, the fathers in the house, to share God's word with us today. We are hard-pressed for time, but we trust God to help us to go as far and as fast as we can. Um, the title of the message, still continuing our series on beautiful inheritance, which is the theme for this month. But today we are zooming in on the title, The Faith of Our Fathers. The Faith of Our Fathers. I'm especially grateful to God that every segment of today's service, starting right from the growth track, into the song, into the testimonies, into the prayer points and the testimonies, everything has been a continuum and totally in tandem with the message that the Lord has laid on my heart. So in a, in a sense, my work has been made easier by different things that had come forth at different points um, into this service. Our text, we'll, we'll take two texts. One is where we got the theme for this month from, and the second one is in First Kings. But Psalm 16, verse 5 to 6 from the New Living Translation says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. In, in that verse 6, in many other translations, KJV and many others, you will see something like the lines are falling onto me in pleasant places. Actually, the, the, the word picture there is depicting when they are sharing land as inheritance in the, in the Jewish tradition. And the psalmist is saying, when they shared those land with those lines, the one that was allocated to him, his own portion was the best of the best amongst all the portions there is because the lines fell onto him in pleasant places. So that's why I like this version that actually puts it in context to say, the land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. And that ties into the next text we're going to read. Many of us will be familiar with this story. I won't go into the whole story, but just the first four verses of First Kings 21. Now there was a man named Naboth, or Naboth, whichever way you want to call him, from Jezreel, who owned a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. How many of us know that story? You can just give a wave. It's one of those stories that you read in the Bible and it's, it's painful in a sense how the story ends <clears throat> because of course, eventually we know that Ahab went away sorrowful. Okay, I've not even read verse three and four. Let me quickly read that. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home hungry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and he refused to, to hit. A old king, an elderly man, and a supposedly matured man, sulking like a child because he did not get a vineyard. And of course, the story went on that the wife saw him acting like that, asked him what's going on. He told the wife. The wife said, don't worry, I'll get the land for you. The wife went on to plot, a, 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 a wrote a letter in the king's name, and plot an assassination of Naboth. And Naboth was killed. And Ahab thought, yeah, now I can have the land. And he went to claim the land. And of course, God then went on to pronounce judgment upon him through Elijah. And the story went on and on. I mean, I won't get into all of that. 
But the, the part that I want to zoom in on is that exchange, that bargaining for exchange, and how neighbors refused to honor that bargain, insisting that this is his inheritance. This is what has been passed down to him by his fathers. This is what has been passed down to him by his ancestors. And when he says the Lord forbid, he's not just, he's not just trying to be insultive or stubborn. He's actually obeying the word of God because again and again in the, in the Levitical laws, you see it in Leviticus, you see it in Numbers, you see it in Deuteronomy, God kept giving them the law that no part of that land that he has given them should any tribe give to another person. It is the land of the Lord, God said, it is my land. And so I own it, I'm giving it to you, don't get it across to any other person. If for any reason the land got sold or something to anyone, at the year of Jubilee, it must be returned back to the family that the land belongs to originally. And that was the law. So when he's saying the Lord forbid, he's actually saying, yeah, the Lord has commanded me that I cannot do that because this is something that is so valuable, which was passed down to me from my fathers. Putting it in context as we go into the rest of the message, we would see um, from where we started two weeks ago and last week, that when we're talking about this beautiful inheritance, beautiful inheritance or heritage, as the case may be, we're talking of something that is mainly spiritual, but with physical implications. And Pastor made that clear two weeks ago. And then last week, he zoomed in on one aspect of that inheritance that is ever so powerful. <coughs> Excuse me. Which is the name, the name, the name of Jesus. It's part of the inheritance that we have. Another close inheritance that we have is the word, the word of God. The two go together. The name of God, the word of God. It's, it's always in tandem. So today we want to consider that same beautiful inheritance, but this time we want to look at it the same way Naboth understood his inheritance. The same way Naboth understood his inheritance as something that was passed down to him. The same way Dikinolumefu kept emphasizing and emphasizing as if he knew what today's message was going to be about. The same way he understood that faith as something that we should not just contend for but contend for it so that we can pass it on successfully. So that has given, as it were, the scope for what we want to talk about. Hebrews 12, 1 talks about a cloud of witnesses. It says, now, therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's talking of those founding fathers of our faith, those people we've read about their exploits in the Bible. He has just finished writing about them in Hebrews 11, listing so very many of them. And then he goes on in, in, in chapter 12 as one to say, now that we are surrounded by all of those people, Abraham, Moses, Enoch, Noah, and all of those examples of faith, we have no choice than to also be inspired by their testimony and run our race and run it with determination, looking unto Jesus, the author mm-hmm. and the finisher of our faith. And so, mm-hmm. uh, as I've, I mean, I've, I've said this already, that I want to zoom in on that, on that element of bargain. The devil will always come after that inheritance. And this is not just a February thing, like we always say. This is the rest of your life as a Christian. As long as you are a child of God, you have a beautiful inheritance. And the devil will always want to fight it in ways that are not necessarily as open and confrontational as Ahab and Jezebel did with neighbors, but very many times with his very many corny devices. And we want, to, we want to recapture what exactly is this legacy of faith that we have received so that just like neighbors, we can resist the devil anytime he comes 
bringing some lure and some bargain to, to tempt us to, 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 to exchange what we have for what seemed valuable, but which in essence is far from valuable compared to what we have in the Father. And so the question I'm asking is what is the heritage that we got from these fathers of faith? What is the heritage that we got from these biblical ancestors that you and I can be traced down back to? Because in Abraham, Bible says, all the families of the heart shall be blessed. And so we can claim and say we are children of Abraham. But all of that lineage of grace and those exemplary figures that are in that lineage, what is it that we got from them? Hebrews 11 gives us a beautiful, simple answer to that, and it's faith. It's faith. And thank God for the song that we listened to during the praise and worship. It's all about faith and God's word, God honoring his word. It says that God has a track record. I love that. A track record of keeping, of keeping his word. And so I go on to ask, what is faith? And when we ask what is faith to anybody that has been a Christian for quite a while, if you probably just think of Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1, beautiful. And that indeed sounds like a beautiful definition for faith. But then when you begin to look at it, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it sounds a little bit vague. But the, 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 the understanding is if you read the old chapter and look at each of those examples that were given, that were mentioned and the very many others that were just grouped as others because of course the writer cannot begin to list how many and every single person of faith in the Old Testament. But if you look at the different scenarios, the different situations, the different contexts, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of their example, you will find a more robust as it were definition or description of faith. And from my study of that, here is what I came to conclude. That based on that Hebrews 11 chapter, faith is our confident obedience to God's word. Our confident obedience to God's word in spite of our circumstances and in spite of the consequences of obeying God confidently. Faith is your confident obedience to the word of God, to what God has said in the scriptures or to what God is saying to you now in consistence, of course, and in alignment and agreement with what he has said in his written word, in spite of the circumstances, the evidences that seem to contradict that word or otherwise, and in spite of the consequences. For Naboth, the consequence was that he was going to lose his life. But in spite of that consequence, he stood his ground to say, no, this inheritance was passed down to me, and I'm not, it's not going to be on my watch that I'm going to let it go. I'm going to contend for it, even if it means to fight for it with my life. And so our focus in the next few minutes is simply just three things. We want to, like I said, recapture that legacy of, our, of, of faith that we've got, the faith of our fathers. What can we do by that faith? What can we learn from what those biblical ancestors that we have have modeled that faith to be like? And then what are the oppositions to this faith that we face that we must contend? And looking at some examples from that Hebrews 11. And lastly, <coughs> how can we pass it on? How can we pass it on? Or, or just to inspire us to pass it on, to know that it cannot afford to end with us. We've got this inheritance that we need to also bequeath to those that are coming behind us. And so I'm quickly just going to spend some time on that aspect of the legacy of this faith. 
the legacy of this faith, what has been handed down over to you. Um, and it's, it's, it's starting with the very example you find in Hebrews 11, Abel. Bible says, by faith, he worshipped God correctly. By faith, by faith, comparing him and contrasting him with, with Cain, who did otherwise. The backstory you find in Genesis chapter 4, we'll not be able to go into that. But we know that God instructed both of them to come worship him. One of them did it the way God has laid down for it to be done. The other did not. And so Bible says the Lord accepted Abel and his sacrifice, but the Lord rejected Cain and his sacrifice. Uh, while we were growing up in, 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 in Sunday school, then thank God for our own CU teachers here, they are biblically sound. But what we were taught in, in Sunday school back then was it was because Cain brought fruits and it was because Abel brought lamb and God likes lamb, he didn't like fruits. That's, that's not the reason. Something is fundamentally wrong with Cain as a person and his posture and attitude of worship. There is a way to worship God. Um, for instance, some people believe until you are within the four walls of a building of a church on a Sunday by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, whatever you are doing elsewhere, it won't feel like worship. But we know that it's not about the location. It's about the heart. It's about the posture. It's about the spirit. Jesus was speaking in John chapter four to that woman that he met by the well in Samaria. And I liked that when the woman began to see from their conversation that there is something special about Jesus. There is something about him that is making him to speak as one with authority. He said immediately, she said, I think you're a prophet. And if you're a prophet, I've always had a question that has been bothering my mind. Maybe you can help me to clarify. Where should we worship God? Should we worship God as Samaritans on our own temple here in Mount Gerizim? Or should we come over to Jerusalem and worship God in Jerusalem as you Jews would claim? But Bible says, Jesus replied, the time is coming, ma'am. And the time is now, he says in the KJV, when we will no longer be concerned about whether to worship God the Father here or in Jerusalem. For it is not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. It's not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. Is our worship spiritual and real? Do we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is spirit and we must have his help to worship as we should. The father wants this kind of worship from us. He couldn't get any clearer than that. Faith is this legacy of faith that we have gotten in one dimension of it is a faith that would make you worship God correctly in a sense that your children will begin to see you and will begin to model that. They will begin to see you. They, there are times that my wife will be so excited about something and then she just goes prostrate on the floor and lie down and Joshua will come and say, mommy, what's wrong? And she will say, I'm just thanking God. I'm just in awe of God. Those simple little conversations, they are sowing a seed into the child to know that there is a God up there that you can choose to worship by just being in the posture of reckless abandon before him and saying, you take it all, you own all of me and you are the God whom I will worship. So the, the legacy of this faith is such a faith that can help us worship right. But there is another example we find in the person of Enoch, who Bible says he walked with God to the point whereby he just disappeared. Bible says he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He walked with God till the one day they walked and walked and walked into heaven and, and he was gone. And that's, that tells us that there is another dimension of this faith that is beyond theoretical. It's about your intimate, practical, relatable relationship that you share with the Father. <laughs> to say that another way is to say that our faith must be balanced. It must balance our desire with action. You can't just claim to desire to do something and think that's enough. I desire to give. 
but I'm not giving. That's not faith. I desire to fast, but I'm not fasting. That's not faith. I desire to study, but I'm not studying. That's not faith. But that we must have both that desire to please God and the diligence to do it, the diligence to seek him. That's why it goes on to say in Hebrews eleven six: without faith, it is impossible to, to, to please God. For whoever will worship him must first of all believe that he is real and that is a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him in prayers, in meditating on the scriptures, in worship, in your spiritual disciplines of daily routines that glorify and honor God. That is what you want to capture and pass on to those that are coming behind you. Because the legacy of the faith we've we've received is a faith that works. It works the talk, just not just talk, but it works the talk. Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 22 to 24 from the message translation, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but a listener, letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Hacked on what you hear, and that's the emphasis. Don't just be a listener or a hearer, but also a doer. Hacked on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act, they're like those who glance in the mirror, they walk away, and two minutes later, they have no idea who they are or what they look like. So that's the second element. The legacy of this faith is the faith that helps us to worship God correctly. The devil will come after that to give you alternatives to worship. That will seem more comfortable, but don't settle for what is comfortable. Settle for that which the spirit of God is motivating. It's also a faith that would walk the talk, a faith that would do what it says it desires or believes or agrees with according to the word of God. And and thirdly, it's a faith that works. You see that when um, Daddy Aromolara was going to contribute um, at the growth track, he brought in that dimension to say, one of the ways you can contend for your faith is also by working. And that's true because it's the outworking of that grace that is inside of us. (coughs) Excuse me. To work, to work. An example that Bible gives for this in Hebrews 11 is Noah. Noah was given an instruction that that it should build an ark because the rain, rain is coming. As of that time, Bible is clear about the fact that it has not even rained on the heart. The only thing they have is moisture coming from the heart and, and watering the face of the heart. So to be describing to people that they should change because something is about to happen that has not happened before, it was understandable that many people mocked him because they are just like, you are crazy and you are building some gigantic hack somewhere because you are thinking something incredible is about to happen. It just doesn't make sense to the human and rational mind. But this faith is a faith that will prompt you not only to have heard God, but to work out the thing that what you heard, the instruction that you heard, to carry it out, to build as instructed, to speak when it, when it motivates you to speak. Paul quoted from the Old Testament to that scripture a couple of times to say, I believe. And so I speak because the faith that we're talking about is a faith that works. And sometimes that looks like just opening your mouth to speak. The legacy of this faith is a faith that worships, a faith that walks the talk, a faith that works. And then it's also a faith that waits. And there are many examples that were given in Hebrews 11 about this. A faith that knows how to wait. Thank God for that testimony of a couple that waited 18 years. And God still honored the track record of him keeping his word. This is, this is where it gets difficult. This is where we, we begin to waver sometimes, like, God, what's going on? But it's part of the legacy that we got. 
Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years after God said, I said you are going to have a son. 24 years later, Abraham had a conversation with God and said, God, you know what? At least now I have Ishmael. Make Ishmael the one. Don't, don't bother. I'm fine with that. But God said, no, I have a track record <laughs> of keeping my word. By this time next year, and that was the first time God was going to give him an inkling as to when exactly it's going to happen. Up until that moment, all he knew or all he had was just a word from God, which he believed quite all right. And Bible says his belief was counted to him as righteousness. But when that will happen, he had no clue. But he waited and waited for it. And unlike that to Isaac, to Jacob, there was a message that kept going on from that generation to generation to let them know that actually the land that I am giving you now is a land in which your children will be taken away from for 400 years and then they will be brought back. And they waited for that promise. Joseph in Egypt, and that's why I'm so proud my name is Joseph. I like that guy in the Bible. He told them when he was going to die that, see, if I should die in this land, I know that God has said something about where he's actually taking us to. And he has a track record of keeping his word. Make sure that you dig up my bones from Egypt when you are going and take it with you to go and bury me in the land where God has promised for us as a people. That would not happen for many decades after his death, but eventually God honored his word. God honored his word. And what God has said eventually came to pass. We saw that in Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. He has a track record of honoring his word. He will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. And of course they did exactly that in Exodus 13, 19. And it was the bones were with them throughout their wanderings in the wilderness until eventually it was reburied in Shechem in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 32, because the Lord has a track record of keeping his word. The legacy of this faith is a faith that worships, that works, that works, that waits, but it's also a faith that wars, a faith that fights, a faith that contends, if you will. And a good example for that is Moses. Moses was, we know the story, born miraculously grew up in the palace in the best place any <coughs> any jewish person could have grown up in terms of the hostility that jewish people were encountering at the time he was exempt from all that because he grew up in the palace but eventually when the lord would encounter him and show him the purpose for which he has been called and for which he has gone through the journey he has gone through he fought if he fought to nail, if you will to receive, to, to, to ensure that that which God has said about him comes to pass. The Bible says in that Hebrews chapter 11 from around verse 23 to 29, that he refused the pleasures. He had alternatives, but he refused the pleasures of sin, the, the temporary pleasures of Egypt. He chose rather to suffer with God's people. And of course, that meant that he was also reproached for his belief. And so it's part of the legacy. If for any reason you are going through stuff now that other people are looking at you and saying, but you're a Christian, it's part of the legacy. You should be proud of it. You should, you should be glad that, I mean, the disciples, they, they, they said in Acts 4, they are, they are glad to be able to suffer and share in Christ's suffering. But ultimately what happened, he was rewarded by God for it. He was rewarded by God for it. The faith of our fathers 
is a faith that worships, that works, that works, that waits, that wars. And Bible says in Hebrews 11, 24 to 25 about Moses, it was by faith that when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I will add one or two more and, and, and tie that up. It's also a faith that wins. It's a faith that wins. It's a faith that conquers. That's the legacy that we got. Joshua and Rahab were examples that were given in Hebrews 11 for that. We know the story, how they also parted the Jordan, how Rahab was able to fight for the winning of the souls of her family in, in that same book to, to bring them to know the God of Israel. So much so that she ended up being a part of the lineage of grace. She went on to marry and then gave birth to Boaz, who got married to Ruth, who became the grandmother of David. And through that lineage came the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior. And so it's, it's a faith, the legacy that we have is so precious. It's so precious. It's a faith that ultimately, ultimately wins. And the last one that I would say is a faith that welcomes the will of God, whatever that may be. <coughs> and again, this is a very difficult one for many of us. Welcoming the will of God, accepting the will of God, whatever that may be. In Hebrews, that same Hebrews 11 from verse 32 to 40, it says that, and what other example shall I give? There is simply no time to continue to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. But by the time he got to verse 36, he grouped a, a group of people and called them others. And look at what these ones did by faith. Others were exposed to the test of public mockery. They were flogged. They were tortured of being tempted. Many, I mean, being left bound in prison. They were killed like neighbors. They were tempted. Many became refugees. They lost everything. And yet they were spawned and ill-treated by a world that was too evil to see their worth. But it goes on to say all of these people, even including those ones, they won a glowing testimony from God regarding their faith. They want a glowing testimony of God regarding their faith. We live in a, in a generation, even in Christianity, whereby it's fashionable to talk about faith as though faith is just a magic button whereby God will just do everything that you want. The fact is faith is not about God doing what you want. Faith is about you aligning what you want with what God wants and leaving it out. And there are times that God will desire of you things that does not make sense. Things that will be difficult to make, choices that might be simple or otherwise, but they are all under the sovereignty of his purposeful will, his providence, and he works it all together for good. And lastly, I know my time is fast spent. The opposition to this faith is just majorly the questions that come up in our minds. Questions like where? Questions like, how will it happen? Questions like, when will it happen? Questions like, why will it happen? And Abraham had cases where he could ask all of those questions. But we know that he obeyed God even when he did not know where he was going. God called him out. He said, I'm taking you to a land that I will show you. It's not like I've shown you. I will show you. Where am I going? Just let's go. And Bible says he obeyed. He obeyed when he didn't know how God would do it. God said, I'm going to give you a child. Yes, you are 75. Yes, you are 99. But I'm going to give you a son. How will you do it? He still obeyed anyway. He obeyed when he didn't know when. <coughs> when will this thing happen? He didn't know when, but he kept on trusting. And then he obeyed when he didn't even know why. 
God told him, take that your son whom you love and take him to the mountain that I will show you to sacrifice him to me. He didn't ask him why, not because he knew why, but all the same he obeyed. And that must be the response. That's the legacy that we've got. It's a legacy of confident obedience to the word of God, knowing that he's a God that honors with his word, in spite of the evidence, in spite of the circumstance, and in spite of all that is around us or the consequence thereof. And lastly, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on to others. Sometime in September last year, as I wrap up, uh, Joshua had a very difficult time pulling. He was unable to pull for about two days. And by the time he got to the second day, it was so unbearably painful. I mean, it's one of those moments that we've given him all the fluids we could give him. There was a medicine that he has used when he had something like that before he used it. Nothing was happening. And you can tell he's, so, he's in so much pain. But at the same time, there is nothing you could do as a parent. And so I carried him at one time. We went to the toilet for the opt-in's time that day and we're just there and he was groaning in pain. It got to a time he just said, I should carry him. He carry, I carried him, he hugged me tight. He said he's, he's feeling painful in his belly and all that. His mom was in a meeting and I, I just looked at him and looked at the mirror in the toilet. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, you've not done what you should do all along, just pray. And immediately that thought came. He said, Daddy, I want to pee. So I put him on the, on the, on the water closet, held him by the tie and said, Joshua, your poo comes out effortlessly in Jesus' name. As I was saying it, the poo was coming out. The first one came out. I didn't even know that it has happened. He was still breathing because he felt like another one is coming. I said it a second time. Your poo comes out effortlessly in Jesus' name. The second one came out. Then he screamed out, Daddy, I did it. I did it. I did it. I pulled in Jesus' name. I pulled. And I carried him afterwards, cleaned him up, took him to the toilet and sang him to sleep, singing prayer is the key. Because that was the song they taught them in CEU the Sunday before. Prayer is the master key. He heard it like three times and just went on to sleep blissfully. The faith of our fathers. Pass it on at any and every opportunity that you have to transmit it to your children. And the Lord will bless us and bless his word in Jesus' name. You can Google this song called Find Us Faithful. The lyrics are powerful, but I won't read it. I have it on the slides, but you can Google it after now because it captures that message of us as parents or even in our respective works now as a teenager, as a university student, there is someone coming behind you and the Lord wants to find you faithful to pass on that legacy to others. Father God, we thank you for your word because it's, 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 it's a word that is alive. Your, words, your word is, is coming afresh to us that we have this legacy that is priceless. And we just ask, oh God, that you will help us as families, as individuals, to be able to understand the legacy of the kind of faith we have and be intentional about leaving it out and leaving it for others that are coming behind. In Christ Jesus' unfailing name we pray. Amen and amen.